Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, December fifteenth, two 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are in Chapter 2, There is a Solution, on the bottom of page 23, uh, the last paragraph, beginning with The Tragic Truth. Today's readers are reading the OA 12 Steps is Chrissy M., reading the OA 12 Traditions is Janice M., and reading the literature are Susie K., Carmela G., and Sharon R.S. The reference number for Sunday, December 14th, is 7109. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Chrissy M. to read the OA 12 Steps. Hi, I'm Chrissy M., a recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other 
alcoholics to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Chrissy M. I will now ask Janice M. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Well, good morning to you, Rebecca, and everyone. My name is Janice M. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. These are the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, <clears throat> pardon me, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Janice M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share. Please mute your phone. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 2, There is a Solution, on the bottom of page 23. 
I will now ask Susie Kay to get us started by reading the first paragraph beginning with the tragic tr- a tragic truth. Let's see. Good, good morning. Susie Kay here, a recovered compulsive eater from Maine. Can you hear me? Yes. Sorry about that. The tragic truth. Thank you, Susie Kay. Yes. Sure. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. So this is the conundrum, I guess you could say, to use a word of um, our our situation, or as my situation as a as a real compulsive eater. Um, um, I know that I'm a low bottom compulsive eater. I was I was told that by people who heard my story, by knowledgeable people, and um, um, you know, I I didn't get a lot of pressure from others to stop eating. Um, it's funny sometimes how people go quiet about that when you're really in the thick of your disease. Um, but, um, you know, going from the last paragraph, that this just demonstrates that, that other people, this, you know, frothy emotional appeal doesn't suffice, you know, that nobody else can can pull us from, you know, this physical allergy and this... Um, mental obsession that we have to eat we we it almost seems that we can't pull ourselves from it at times um that we just have absolutely no willpower i had no willpower um nothing worked um not having a sponsor not committing my food not going to meetings um not getting up every morning and committing an abstinent food plan um i was really hopeless um and and much as as other as my fellows in the program tried much as i tried there was nothing um it seemed there was nothing i could do um that um i was in it before i knew it and that's the 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 last sentence this tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected that kind of harkens to me the importance of not taking the first bite. And I guess that, you know, that that first bite in my case was sometimes just so alluring. Um, you know, many times it was, I could, I could stave it off, but then, you know, there come those moments when, um, there came those moments when, um, it just was the, the idea of eating that sugar was just so, it just had such an appeal to it. And um, once I did that, then then I just went down. So I'll pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Susie Kay. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Karen. Larry. I heard Karen and Larry. Karen, you could go first. Thank you. Thank you so much for the service. Thank you all who are on the line. My name is Karen T. I'm a recovered compulsive reader in Louisiana. 
The most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This happened to me. Um, I uh, have had four major relapses in OA, and um, my last one, I had been in OA for eight years. I had been abstinent at one point for two years, but I was in relapse. I had taken back my trigger foods, um, and uh, I was out of control eating. But I thought that if I had a powerful desire to stop drinking, stop eating, that I would be able to get right back on. And the illusion that, oh, okay, well, you know, when I'm done, I'll be done. And then it happened. I decided that the pain of compulsive eating was terrible, and now I wanted to stop. And I couldn't. It surprised me so much. Every morning, uh, I wanted to stop eating, so I would get up, and I would uh, take the first three steps to the best of my ability. I would beg God to help me be abstinent that day. If you gave me a lie detector test, I was going to be abstinent that day. And I would start going about my day um, with an incredible amount of hope because I really wanted to stop, and I was really serious. And um, then something would happen. And it wasn't even something that happened outside of me. It was something that happened inside. Some, some switch happened inside of me. I can't really explain it, but all of a sudden I would know that I wasn't going to be abstinent that day. Even though I wanted to be, I knew it wasn't going to be today. And that switch happened even before I put the first compulsive bite in my mouth that day. And I would be off and running. And my MO at that point was going from drive through to drive through So I'd be off in the car. And um, I'd be off. And this was unbelievably baffling to me. I thought that when I decided I wanted to be abstinent again, that I could get abstinent. And it wasn't true. I wanted to be abstinent now, but my car kept driving to the next drive-thru. So um, when I say that I'm powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable, I'm powerless over my trigger foods, um, that is um, even when I want to, I can't stop. And um, I did get abstinent, um, and it did get better. And it was a lot of trying that I did. But um, I still don't know how I got abstinent. I just kept trying. So I really believe it's a God thing. And I really believe that for me, I had to learn that truth. That was part of step one, you know, that I'm powerless over. I'm powerless when I am in the food. I'm powerless when I'm not in the food. And I'm powerless to decide when I'm going to get abstinent or not. And um, this was just devastating to me that I I could decide I wanted to be abstinent and I couldn't be. So um, I just hope that if anyone needs this, um, they will know that uh, we can't even stop when we want to stop sometimes. And um, so hopefully my um, experience, strength, and hope might help someone online today.
Oh my God, I passed. Thank you. Thank you, Karen T. Larry, you're next. Thanks so much, Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that the big book devotes about 50-some pages to the first part of the surrender process, which is to admit that we have a problem that we cannot help ourselves with. You know, so if I don't understand what makes me, you know, as a compulsive overeater, fundamentally different from a normal eater, I'll never have a strong enough sense of why to pick up this spiritual toolkit. You know, I'll, I'll continue to waste time in indecision. It, it's, it's, it's amazing how much time I wasted in that desert of indecision, waiting desperately to feel better before embarking upon this journey of action. And, you know, I learned that, that trusting in the process, you know, a process that's worked for, you know, millions of people, by the way, even while feeling horrible, trusting in that process was absolutely essential because my inaction continued to breed more inaction. But, you know, conversely, action, you know, for me, continued to breed the momentum of more action. And I've known, you know, many people who wanted to be convinced, you know, persuaded that this spiritual program of action was foolproof, you know, and, and they remained buried in a, in a big pile of skepticism, which for me was pride. That was me. And they were almost there, almost enticed, you know, almost tempted to take action. And I couldn't help but think at their funeral. I wonder how close they were to implementing those steps. You know, it's it's very sad to see people that remain stuck in that wasteland of indecision and they die in the process. This disease kills. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I, I thank God that my life has been saved. I've been restored by my higher power. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula Mashia. Sure, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. This would be Paula D. from London, uh, from New Hampshire. I am a compulsive reader today, recovered by the grace of God. You know, I want you to go down to scoot on right to that last line. Not that I want to be there, but that's where I had to be. The tragic, this tragic situation has already arrived. She just didn't even know. They talk about the disease, cunning, insidious, oh yeah. In practically every case, long before it is suspected. Didn't even know it. This time I'll do something different. But you know, it starts at the top of the page. At a certain point, the point is very sharp. In the drinking of every alcoholic. No exceptions here? No. Nor was I one, though I thought I was. He passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolute least. We all hear about the absolutes of the program. Look at where it's placed here. No avail. No avail. There is nothing I could do. 
To avail is to be of use. No use. No use. And then it continues on. Tragic situation. Oh, yeah. But I want to thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? This is Janet. Monica. Vasa. I hear Janet. Leia. Monica. KDF. Vasa. Leia. And KDF. And J. And Sue T. Okay. Janice, go right ahead. Well, thank you, um, Rebecca, for your service, and good morning, everyone. My name is Janice M., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. It says the tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, well, what's a real alcoholic anyway? Well, we just read it about a couple of pages before, and it says, If we are a real alcoholic, we have begun, I'm just paraphrasing, to lose all control of his his alcohol consumption once he starts to drink. Well, I understand that. That's the allergy of the body. And um, then I diagnose myself. Well, yeah, yeah, but but what happens? Why do I pick up once I'm stopped? And that's the crux. That's the problem. Now, if you don't have that obsession, then you just stop, which is good. That Then you're a normal eater. But I was never a normal eater. I was always testing my control over the amount I drank, uh, the amount I ate and drank, um, mostly ate. Um, and when I would stop, I, I just was, oh, you know, they say, well, you could, you know, think your way through it. Yeah, I thought my way through it. I gave so many excuses. Why? And I always was testing my control until there were no more tests left for me to to use. And uh, it didn't matter what human aid I I had, what pill I took. So therefore, you know, on page 44, if you really want to diagnose yourself, there it is. That's if on condition that I I diagnosed myself as a real alcoholic. I crossed the line from being a cucumber to a pickle. And, you know, once you're a pickle, can't go back to being a a cucumber again. And, yeah, the obsession of the mind, I could not control that. A normal eater just puts down the food. They don't need the 12 steps. But I need, and it worked for me, the 12 steps to remove that obsession of the mind. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Monica. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in the book. There is a solution. But they're still trying to get across to us what our problem is here. And at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail, no help, no benefit. And that's where I was when I walked into the rooms of OA. I was desperate. I was scared to death. I was back over 200 pounds. I was eating like a maniac. 
And I wanted to stop, and I could not stop. And it says here the most into a state, into a state. This is a state of unmanageability. You know, number one, I continued to do what I didn't want to do. And two, I couldn't and I don't do what I want to do. You know, I was screwed. Either way, I was unable to do anything. And, of course, this is the powerlessness, unmanageability of my disease. So this is telling me that, you know, I'm, I'm powerless over the allergy, uh, the fact that I have the allergy. I, do, I can put the food down. I do have that. And I'm powerless over the obsession of the mind. And, I'm, you know, and it's so bad that my will will pick the disease every time. Either way, I don't do what I want to do, and I can't do what I don't want to do. Um, and so I also have in my book here, is this true for me? So whenever I read this, it's like, you know, is this true that I have passed into a state? Can I see this? Well, thank you, God, I did. And he brought me to OA. And there is a solution, everyone. And that's doing the steps. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica T. Vasa? Yes, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. And I am Vasa O. Recover Compulsive Vita, calling from Florida. And it is by the grace of God that I'm absent today. It's not because of my own doing. It's because the Lord God um, brought me into the program and uh, gave me the program, gave me the 12 steps. But I like the last sentence also, this tragic situation has already arrived in particularly every case long before it is suspected. Uh, I battled this disease for 25 years of my life before I come into the program, the illusion, you know. Yeah, someday, someday I will conquer this, you know. And I tried it over and over and over, and it just it did not work for me anymore. So I was baffled. I came to the end of me. I was powerless over the food addiction. I didn't know. I didn't understand the allergy. I didn't understand. I did understand the obsession because I remember being obsessed. When I'm gonna eat? How I'm gonna cook? Uh, how I'm gonna get it? I didn't run to restaurants. That's one thing. I didn't have the money. So I was very creative, you know. I could stretch that dollar, you know. And I would go to the grocery store, buy the, you know, whatever my, the things that I needed, and I did it at my own home, you know. Uh, I, I, as I said, you know, I'm just so grateful that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous and to find the solution. Finally, I found hope where I lost hope. There was no more hope. I remember accepting I'm just going to die with this disease and I'm just going to, that's it. And, you know, I'm going to leave my my three-year-old son and my teenage children and then I'm going to have a mother because I, I had seen the disease in my own family as growing up. Even though I might not be dead and buried in the ground, I was dying physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And by now, I think I'd be dead anyways, you know. What a sad story for my own family. They wouldn't have been able to spend 
their time, you know, they, the sadness they would have had. Or maybe they would have been happy because I was so miserable, you know, that I'm gone, you know. But I am just so grateful that I'm transformed to another. God has transformed me, you know. And again, I needed to accept step one, and I need to accept the solution. There's no other way, Vasa, live or die. Thank you for letting me share in our path. Thank you, Vasa. Leah. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning, everybody. Leah M. Recovered compulsive overeater. He has lost control at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic. He passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. You know, um, I had stopped thousands of times. Uh, You know, I could stop for a period of time, but I could never stay stopped. You know, my book teaches me that I have this utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I had the necessity. You know, I was a young kid with medical consequences. I was obese. I had shortness of breath. My cholesterol was out the roof. Uh, You know, high blood pressure. I had necessity, and I certainly had the wish. You know, I was suffering from mental torture. I had emotional turmoil. I was experiencing isolation, deep depression suicidal thinking, but I had this mind that kept taking me back to that which was killing me. And, you know, uh, someone just mentioned about the, the cucumber being pickled. You know, once we are through the brining process, there is no going back. The chains of compulsive overeating were too soft for me to feel until they were too hard for me to break. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I had crossed that line. I had absolutely crossed that line, and it was cunning, baffling, and powerful. What was wrong with my mind? Why was I not responding to humiliation? Why was I not learning from the consequences of my behavior? I learned from other consequences in my life, you know, but it just seemed that when it came to compulsive overeating, if I had a bit of premeditation or precognition that was taken over by this obsession of the mind. And there were times where I thought I was just, you know, uh, making a decision, merely choosing choosing to change my mind. Oh, I think I'll just take a piece of this and get right back on track. But, you know, then I saw the truth. I was not changing my mind. I was compelled to pick up that first bite beyond my ability to control it because it became my only thought. You know, the obsession of the mind was the only thought, and if it's the only thought, you can't have reflection on that thought because it's the only thought. So that's exactly what was happening to me. I was continuing to repeat this behavior, expecting different results, not learning from my experience, not connecting the dots. It was as if my pain had no memory. And this disease continued to beat me into a pulp until I threw up my hands uh, and reached out to a God I didn't even know or believe in at that time. You know, this disease just was merciless in terms of beating me into a pulp. But the program of recovery saved my life. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Katie F. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater. And I... um, it's hard to <laughs> follow so many people sharing on the same paragraph, but um, 
I just have to echo that, you know, this part of you've already survived in practically every case long before it is suspected. And for me, I I feel like I was I was at that point like from birth because I didn't believe that there was other way. Like I just thought that um you know, be a temporary respite, but that this monkey chatter in my head was really never going to be gone. I just didn't believe that it could be gone forever. And so I tried to just accept my obesity. And I tried to just be happy and just, you know, say, well, you know, it's sort of like trying to talk um, to a wolf and say, let's just, let's just be friends. Let's, you know, I'll be over here and I'll just do my thing and you do your thing. And, you know, it just doesn't work that way. A wolf is a wolf. So I'm just so grateful that I got through the point, got through the steps to the point where I recognized that my life had completely changed. And so now when a fleeting thought goes through my head of, I don't want to have to weigh and measure my food today or, um, you know, oh, they were so nice. They made such a nice meal and, you know, why can't I just have a little? You know, those thoughts are immediately replaced with the memory of me trying to uh, control the food to just be a little tiny problem. And that just never worked. It never worked for me. And, I'm just so grateful that I don't have to try to fit in with, quote, normal people. I'm completely neutral around food today. I can just do uh, whatever I want um, in all the hours in between my meals. And I'm so free, and I can't – I wish I could bottle it and give it away to anybody who wants it. But, you know, it's an inside job between my higher power and me, and it's one day at a time. You know, I didn't figure this out 26 years ago, 27 years ago, and then go on my merry way. It is a daily reprieve, and I no longer have to be that person that I was, and I'm so grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie S. Sue G. Good morning. It's Sue G. Gratefully, gratefully recovered in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, well, I, I was thinking about the last two sentences in the paragraph, which seems to be where we're, we're all landing here. And, uh, at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. Whoa. Well, I think I'll work backwards. So so yesterday we're talking about the saying, you are what you eat. And my husband says, what on earth does that mean? And, <laughs> and I'm thinking about the, the previous sharers. And I love the, the wolf. The, the wolf is inside me. I mean, I have a God within now in my recovered state with which I am intact. I am and I am in contact, and I am very aware that it's not me, and that that that's um, reading this particular couple of sentences. It really brings it out because I, I think 
in in my story, okay, so I I had lots of gradual learning of of spiritual principles. I learned it in my profession. I'm a therapist. I learned it in um, another fellowship. Uh, it was great, and I really learned how fixated I could be on helping other people, and that I was going to be. I was I was the cast me out and and I had to practice acceptance with that in those life experiences and it did indeed carry over to other things but not quite and why didn't it well I I'll never have an answer to why that that's Hubie's business holy one of blessing and the familiar that's my God of my understanding an outside issue but an deep inside issue to me in my heart so I share it here because I'm willing to but I. I was unwilling. I really was that egomaniac with the inferiority complex. I would dance around. I'd give you advice, and I'd take my expert role in my work, and I did that very well, and I helped people. And some of the people got better because they were willing to practice spiritual principles. And maybe I was even teaching them a few, but I certainly wasn't doing it with any kind of good orderly direction. And and that's where where we go as as we we go to this place where we're we're really describing how totally desperately messed up we all have been and can be. We can go back there if we don't do the spiritual thing one day at a time. We'll go right back there. And and so we don't we don't have to stay in that place of suffering. We have these these steps which are going to come up in in a few chapters and. Uh, and we have we have a good orderly direction here. So thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Susie. Okay, we're going to move on. I will now ask Carmela G. to read the next paragraph, beginning with the fact is at the top of 24. Thank you, Rebecca. This is Carmela G., a grateful, recovered, for today, compulsive overeater. I just want to note before I start reading, this entire paragraph is in italics. And if we recall, when the authors put it in italics, that means wake up and really pay attention. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Wow, I have the underlining is just phenomenal in this paragraph because in life, our choice, we we as compulsive overeaters have a problem with control. We try to control everything. We think we have the mighty power. And until we surrender and give up that power to our higher power, we have no control whatsoever. And when I finally admitted that I was powerless, I thought, oh, how could that be possible? You mean food has power over me? 
I'm so superior. How could this be possible? But the fact is, it is. And in order to overcome, we have to surrender one day at a time and ask our higher power that I call God to get me through each day. And I give my power. And in return, I receive happiness and joy and peace that has never been experienced before. Thank you all for allowing me to share. Thank you, Carmela G. Who would like Melissa to share? Melissa Singh. Leanne. Leanne from Florida. Kim. Sally. I love that chuckle because you know that I'm sitting here going, what, what, what? (laughs) So I got, here's who I got. I think it's Larissa, but it might be Melissa. Melissa. It is Melissa. Okay, I wrote Melissa and then I doubted myself. And then I heard Leanne, and I know there were other people, but who I heard were Bella, Kim, and Sally. Who did I miss? Deb W. Sharon H. I heard Deb W. and Sharon H. Was there anyone else? Carol G. Carol G. Sarah W. Okay, so you know that I I doubt, even though I doubt there's going to be enough time for all of you. So um, I'm just going to go in the order in which I wrote these names, even though they might not have been the order in which you spoke up. So, Melissa, you get us started, please. Okay, thank you. This is Melissa C. from New York, recovered compulsive overeater. And, um, uh, you know, this is it for me. This explains it all, that my recollection, my ability to remember what the food has done to me over and over again, my memory doesn't exist. It's like um, I have a a complete (laughs) sense of amnesia, you know, and... um, and so that's how I know I really need to rely on something other than my memory. My memory, when it comes to food, um, just it, it goes away. You know, as soon as I start to feel better, when I've removed, um, you know, my allergic food, as if that were my only problem, I start to feel better physically. And then um, within time, that small thought, that whispering thought in my brain to pick something up can sneak its way in and it goes from a whisper to a shout and I'm powerless because I can't remember why I shouldn't do it. It doesn't seem, is it that bad? I start thinking, is it really that bad? Um, it is that bad. <laughs> and and that's why I need I need to be transformed. I need a spiritual transformation so that I'm not left to rely on myself, my memory, um, because it failed me. I need to rely on a power greater than myself and working the steps. Um, you know, the truth, I'm able to see the truth um, and, and have recovery. And so, you know, my whole life I've gone diet to diet, and I was a really successful dieter, Um <laughs> Because, you know, I was relying on myself. I removed the food, and then um, something would come up where it was okay to 
you know, I think that's like my Weight Watchers career. I felt like it was a career in Weight Watchers, and they really made a lot of money off of me and my suffering because, um, you know, they would tell you that you could use your points and have some of this. And, you know, then they would make their desserts or their treats that um, you could have one, you know, um, for a point. And I laugh because I any time I decided to try the their prepackaged stuff, um, I I would eat the entire thing because my memory didn't exist. I couldn't remember what having one of those did to me. Um, and so, you know, I I love hearing this part. This is why I'm a compulsive overeater. This is why I can be recovered today because I've had a spiritual transformation and I rely on God and not my memory. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. You know, if we're going to be able to get through this whole list, it would have to be that everyone cut back on their time. So use your time wisely, and we'll see how we do. Leanne, you're next. Can you hear me? Yes, Leanne. Okay. Leanne recovered in Florida. Um, Coming back to no matter how great the necessity or the wish and the fact that the willpower is incredibly weak when it comes to the food. Well, I call it my insane eating behaviors. It just brought to mind how many years of infertility we went through because of my anorexia. My body never worked, not even once in my whole life. So when we got married and got a house, all of a sudden I really wanted children. It took forever, month after month after month of infertility procedures, getting deeper and deeper into them, and even that couldn't help me stop my insane. No matter how bad I wanted a child, the insane, the insane eating behaviors. I had, I had completely no power. They just took me over. I had no power over what I did with food. The doctor told me, you know, I will, I will help you if you go home and try to gain at least ten pounds. Gain ten pounds couldn't do it no matter what and people all around me were getting pregnant all my friends and the pain inside my heart was incredible but I could not do anything about the eating it took years over five or seven years till we finally finally got uh, a pregnancy out of all of those procedures and you think that I would have stopped you know during like this precious child is finally inside of me you think I would have stopped no, nothing. I was just as insane as ever around the food, even even with that. And, um, you know, it just goes to show how much power it had over me. I remember being eight months pregnant and in a uh, hotel going up and down the steps at 2.30 in the morning because I had binged. And just the insanity around it all, it just really brings it to mind and... um I'm grateful to be here today, and I'm thankful that God rescued me from a life of hell through these steps, and I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leanne. Bella, you're next. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Rebecca, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. The fact is, it's a fact. What is a fact? Fact is something that we cannot change. We cannot change. And before I was in the program, I tried 
so hard to fight with the fact. I tried to change the fact. I thought that I am over it. I am, I am overweight because I don't have the, the willpower. I was, I was fighting with myself. I was fighting with the whole entire world. I was fighting with a, with a, with a fact that it wasn't a successful war, not at all. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program and I change my way of thinking. Now I know it's a fact. It's a fact that I am human. It's a fact that I have my limitations. And it's a fact that I choose one day at a time as for now to be connected to a higher power, higher than myself. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Kim. Kim G. Star one to unmute. Sally, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, go right ahead. Thank you. This is Sally A., Recovered Compulsive Reader in South Jersey. So I wanted to speak to this line here. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first bite and uh, I find that to be, it's an interesting thing that they're sharing an aspect of the mental aspect, the greater mental aspect of our disease. That's what the book tells us, is that the mental, the mental part is the greater aspect. Let me just go right to the page. It's on top of page 35. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking for obviously this is the crux of the problem. The mental aspect is the crux of the problem. And the book tells us on page 42, I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. So one of the aspects of the disease that I lived with was that I had this weird um, dementia, this specific type of dementia. I, I had a really great memory for many, many things. But when it came to my eating behavior and what it did to me, I couldn't remember how much pain I was in the last time I picked up. Even when I had waited, even after five years of not picking up, I couldn't remember. And it was a strange mental blank spot, literally like um, a specific type of dementia. And on page 92, it, it says another way, it says, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Here's the feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental conditions surrounding that first drink prevent normal functioning of the willpower. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I remember when I was in the food, I still remember my last two binges. They were two months apart, and they were very similar. They were in the same place, and I ate the same thing. And I remember that I was like an animal. I remember the sneakiness, the risky behavior, 
because my son and my, uh, I was at my daughter's house and they have cameras all over their house. And I remember that I knew that there were cameras in the kitchen and I was embarrassed that I was, you know, I was on one day or off another day and I was embarrassed that they would see in the cameras that I was in the kitchen on the prowl. And this was part of my disease was the risky behavior, the excitement of skirting around the cameras like, like a wild animal. And so when I look back on this, I'm very grateful that I remember those last two binges, my last, my very last two binges of two and a half years ago. But this reminds me, this, this word, the memory of the suffering and humiliation. Can you imagine how humiliating when my son-in-law would catch me? And he did. And he would confront me. Very humiliating. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. Thank you, Sally. Kim, you're next. Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm just going to concentrate on one word because I want to make sure other people can share. It says, we are unable at certain times. So that confused me, and it also gave me this false sense of hope because at certain times I could. At certain times I could go to a wedding and I could eat like a lady. At certain times I could have three or four and I could stop. But it's saying here we are unable at certain times. So I think of it like the game of Russian roulette. There's a gun and it has six chambers, and one of them has a bullet in it. And I know at certain times I'm not going to be able to control and enjoy my eating so I'm willing to spin that chamber and take a shot on the hope that it's not going to be the one time to bowl it in. But the insanity is, as my disease progressed, as I became deeper and deeper in the disease and I was playing Russian roulette, there were now five bullets in the chamber and only one shot and me being able to, at certain times, be able to control my eating. And I was still willing to pull that trigger on the hope that this will be the one time I will be able to control it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Um, Deb W., I think you might be our last share. I think I'll pass till the uh, next meeting. This is Deb W. Thank you, Deb W. Sharon H., would you like to take the last turn? Uh, thank you, Rebecca. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And I really don't think I can add anything except uh, just what hit me today was our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. And for me, it became non-existent, no practically in front of it. And um, and listening to these meetings and hearing these facts and warnings over and over again of the tragic truth that is our lot when we are a real alcoholic or real compulsive overeater. But that is the beginning of it being able to be turned around uh, because then we are willing and able to accept God's grace and to do what is required of us to do in order to get recovered and stay recovered. And that was my dilemma. I could never do that. And today, by God's grace, I have been given that gift. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Sharon H. Uh, Carol G. and Sarah W., as well as W. I hope you stay on for the next hour, and I'm sorry we ran out of time. Um, 
Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Sharon R.S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Rebecca and all visionaries here on the line. This is Sharon R.S. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find. And join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.